0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast, by the faithful, and for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce, don't adjust your lighting, it's him, it's Bruce, hey Bruce.
1: <laughs> oh, lights, camera, action, kind of, you the doing? Way, kind of the other way around today, oh, doing all right, thanks, how about yourself?
0: Good 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 bruce good I, I i i've been timing myself going up and down the stairs for the last six months and i had a i hadn't done it for about three months and i had a huge breakthrough like i shaved 10 seconds off my time and it was i think because of stretching the, the miracle of stretching so there you go i wish i'd fun. done it when i was uh before i turned 59 but better late than never
1: <laughs> uh that's all right early, man you're still yeah. early in your 50s you're right
0: that's that's <laughs> exactly right that is exactly right uh i heard this story someone asked a 90 year old guy you know if he would like to go back and be in his 20s and, and his answer was no i'd rather go back and be 60 again he said i was 60 all my friends were still alive i still had my health and I had a uh, uh, the stress of life was largely gone, and I could just enjoy my life. And he really did when he was in his sixties. So could be it's probably you're, you're halfway through your best decade, and here I go. So
1: there you have it. Yeah, I wish I could say the stress of life was largely gone, but ah, I guess yeah, I can say I've lived a good life, even whatever happens to the tail end of it. It's so, always that.
0: Yeah. Maybe the stress of life never really goes. Probably not. We, they, of course, we just had COVID this decade, which amped up everyone's stress a lot. So changed a lot. It was a strange time, and we're through it. It seems like we're through it, Bruce. I mean, the hockey's back to normal, generally speaking. I think? Yeah. You haven't had COVID yet, though.
1: Wait, I have not. We'll see what happens if there's any uh, if there's any um, outbreaks this year that cause teams to take a week or two off, like happened to various teams around the league last year over and over again. I mean, we won't know until we actually make it through the winter. So,
0: yeah, we'll see what happens.
1: is a very uh, persistent adversary. Let's put it that way.
0: It's apparently not going away uh, in our lifetime. So, all right, Uh, Bruce, we're going to talk about uh, the Oilers' rookie young guns tournaments going on in Penticton. And nope. the Oilers played last night, they're playing tonight, and they're going to nope. play Monday night. I saw the game last night. The Oilers have, um, in their really unhelpful way, not put the game up for people who didn't watch it live, so you couldn't watch it because you didn't watch it live. I just did, just, you know, it, I really appreciate them showing the games online. I think that's really a, a great service for fans. I mean, that's what the, the business they're in is serving their fans, but they really should get on top of this and broadcast, uh, have a game up so people who missed it can watch it. Um, We'll talk about uh, that game and the performance of players in that game. We'll talk about, um, uh, Bruce just sent me a message, which I'm now reading and and now it's gone and I didn't get a chance to read it. Uh, We'll talk about about, uh, the wrap up of our prospect series. It was such a huge and alarming message right across my screen. I thought it was like, what is this? Is this like the government intervening here and telling me a, a message? We should mention we won't have game podcasts until the regular season. I agree, Bruce. We will not have them. I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks, and uh, so I can't do the podcast after each game, exhibition game. So we'll start for the regular season with that. And um, in my absence, I think uh, Bruce is going to try to do a podcast or two, uh, maybe with Kurt, Kurt. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see how that goes. That'll be. Uh, That'll be
1: great. It won't be post game until we get into the season. Our plan is we're going to do all 82 regular season games and all 28 playoff games, right? (laughs) (laughs) So that's plenty. That's 110 Uh, potential uh, podcasts. Bruce, I,
0: I I'm I like your optimism. But I, th- I think we're only going to have to do
1: 16. Sixteen, bad. Well, last year we did that? 16. It wasn't quite enough. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but six, 16, 16 successful podcasts is all. I think good.
0: actually it'll be a little more than 16 because the Colorado series is not going to be easy. But other than that, we could plow, we could plow through these playoffs. Okay, so we're going to talk about the rookie game. We're going to talk about Stuart Skinner, the wrap-up of our, of our prospect series. We're going to talk about the team, team demographics. And the Oilers have a cohort of 30-year-old, 30-something players just uh, signed recently, all the lengthy contracts, and that had me worrying uh, about what the future is of this Oilers core as it gets, because they're all core 12 players. They're all key to the team. <coughs> so I'm a little bit worried about that, so I dug into it and, and got a, a, an answer there. Talk about Andrew Kane, Evander Kane's settlement with the San Jose Sharks and about the Oilers' latest uh, PTO. Uh, I was going to say... Jacques Demer but it's not Jacques Demer what is his first name um Jason Demer Jason Demer Bruce um so you missed you couldn't watch the game last night eh
1: yeah all I saw later was the highlights I had a social engagement and I thought well when I've got 110 more games to do when they start playing for real points uh then I'll be breaking social engagements and doing those games but I thought last night, I really did think the game would be on tape delay and it wasn't, but I saw the highlights and it's the first rookie game tonight. I'm working the second rookie game. I anticipate being fully up to speed by midnight tonight. Good stuff. Oh. Good stuff. So, so all I did see was the highlights. I saw some nice highlights, man, that pass from Carter Savoy. Oh, He, a-
0: uh, he was on a line with Schaefer and Philip Engeras, and uh, it was it was an okay line. Didn't get a ton done, but man, a couple times, Carter Savoy flashed that skill. Now, the Jets had a couple of really highly rated players in the game, uh, Cole Perfetti mm-hmm. and Ch- Chaz Lucius, mm-hmm. Chaz Lucius Chaz, and... Um, he, uh, it was it was interesting. The Oilers' skill, at least to me, stood out every much. Perfetti's a, a very skilled player, a very good player. Sure Oilers, Oilers got some skilled players, Bruce, and Carter Savoy is one of them. Like he's drafted a hundredth overall, but his level of skill, it's not appreciably different than twenty second overall Xavier Bargot or um, you know even Cole Perfetti. I think Cole Perfetti's ahead of Carter Savoy. Mm-hmm. But it's not like this. It's this ocean between the two. Carter Savoie right. has this unbelievable talent with the puck, and he's a little—he can be aggressive without it in, in order to win it back. So he's come a long way, and um, he sh- he flashed that skill on an absolutely beautiful uh, um, horizontal dart right across the ice. That um, I think his name is Darian Kielb put in, yep. to the, and a nice finish by Kielb. Who's kind of like mm-hmm. one of the walk on players, like not not in yeah. the organization, no contract or anything like that.
1: oh uh, he no, he's in the organization. He's got an AHL contract. There so you go. So he's he yeah, he's uh, they got three players that are got AHL con- contracts. Angaras is one of them, Kielb is one, and the third guy, uh, he's also DK, he's got the same initials as Kielb and I'll remember his name in a moment. Anyway. Uh, and he's a uh, full-timer in, in uh, AHL. And he will be... Uh, uh, the organization is starting to treat those guys like prospects now. and uh, They've signed a few of them. they signed a few of them, yeah. Like they put the money where their mouth is, signed them to AHL deals, and when they perform, uh, put them on to NHL deals. I mean, case in point is... Uh, guy who scored the winning goal last night, James Hamblin, who was signed to an AHL deal and uh, uh, after uh, it expired at the end of last year, a two-year deal, they signed him to an extension on an entry-level contract and now he's in the system and a very interesting uh, young player with, uh, uh, that's, everybody that I talk to seems to have a nice word or two to say, I really like this James Hamblin guy, I've been saying the same thing myself for months. Uh, I like the guy. I like, you know, I like the game that he's got. I like the attitude that he brings. He's a little guy, uh, but he's a little guy that's all over the puck.
0: Remember blonde-haired Bobby Russell yes. from way back in the day? He, he reminds me of blonde-haired Bobby Russell, a little guy fast as hell skittering around the ice
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, with great enthusiasm.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: line, um, Holloway, Dylan Holloway, um, He he, uh, had one really good shot set up by by Borgo. But um, what was really nice... Holloway had the puck on on a string a few times. Mm -hmm. And was just cruising around with the puck. No one could get it off him so fast. And has that puck carrying ability. Um, He can obviously... He's got some sides. He can forecheck. Um other good forwards, Noah Philp, looked good puck protecting. He led a line with Matvi Petrov and Tyler Tulio, and you didn't really notice Petrov nice. or Tulio so much, but that line was very effective. Probably had the top um, offensive zone time of any of the Oilers lines, I'm guessing. I don't think they had the more most grade A shots. In fact, they didn't. The top line did of Hamblin, mm-hmm. Borgo, and Holloway. But that that uh, line was very effective, and Philip, was that you can he, he's big, he's smart, he's very effective on the boards. He was very good on puck protection, and he got off a couple shots himself. Um, on defense, um, Maximus Warner, Warner, Maximus Warner, I'd never seen play before. Nineteen year old, 6'3", 185 pounds. I think he plays in the Western. He plays in the Western Hockey League. I can't remember which team he's with. Anyway, Bruce, he was surprisingly effective. He was really smooth. His skating was much better. You know you, that kind of player who's a defensive defenseman taken way back in the draft, whatever it was, like in the fifth round or whatever that was. A player like that, you're just expecting him to be slow and plodding, and because he's also known as an aggressive player. But he wasn't. He was not that. He was really slick with the puck now and then. He was paired up with uh, Philip Broberry. Broberry, you know, he he uh, didn't do any. He didn't make any spectacular scoring plays or attacking plays, but he was all over the place, making plays, hitting people, Mm -hmm. shutting down the uh, Winnipeg attack, looked very good in that game as well. Ryan Fanti looked good in net. Um, He's a big guy. He um, made most of the saves, and he handled the puck exceedingly well, I thought. I I really liked his uh, puck distribution, which is a big thing. As we've seen from Mike Smith, that's a, a crucial aspect of the game. Two players stood out to me, Bruce. And I'll start with Michael Kesselring. Um, Mm -hmm. He's a player we've been writing about, you know, for a number of years now. uh, Drafted, I think, in 2017. Late round picked in 2017. And um, has advanced steadily through the system. Was a rookie in the HL last year. Got set back by COVID considerably last year. He's someone who had long COVID. And and struggled after he got it um, to uh, get back up to speed. But that was easily the best game I've seen Michael Kesselring play. I've, I had watched a number of his university college mm-hmm. games in the United States. He was two years, I think, in the NCAA. He was really lugging the puck well. Um, his skating seemed to have improved uh, both his agility and his, and his front end speed, which I ne- had never, it, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't a problem, but it was an asset in this game. Uh, previously, it wasn't a problem, but now it's an asset and uh, he was constantly rushing the puck up ice, and he got a goal. He charged up the ice, took a pass from Holloway, fought off a check, and put the puck into the middle. He was trying to pass it over, and and it hit the Jets defender and went in the net. Um, So he scored a goal that way, Uh, So which shows you're rewarded. Like, the more you put the puck on net and make good offensive plays, you're going to get a reward now and then. He needs Bruce. He's 22 now. This is his year. He's got to break. If he's going to be an NHL hockey player... He's got to break into the top four in Bakersfield this That's year. Really and he so he it's a huge year, huge moment for him. He was bottom, I think he was bottom pairing last year most of the time, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't watch those games, so I can't say for sure. But this year he's got to be top four. And he, I think from my viewing, he took a step in achieving that goal that game. The, the, the one player, though, who stood out, like it was, wow, Xavier Borgo. Um, nice. Uh, honestly, if this was the decade of darkness, still glad it isn't. Mm-hmm. We now, like today, the the Oilers fan would be abuzz with, geez, I wonder how Borgo and Holloway are going to look in the top six for the Oilers, because because that, mm-hmm. that's what they look like. They could do. It looks like they could step in, and like Jordan Eberle did.
1: Or a hall and Eberle on, on the current. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Not that Holloway Certainly is Eberle. quite Hall, but he doesn't. He reminds me of Hull the way he, he skates. Skates a and, little and bit like. Number four. Some things he does, yeah. Well, he wears he's number certainly 50, very five. Certainly yeah. buried. Yeah, he was number four in Oklahoma City, or in jeez, soccer mandatory 1970 sports references. He was in uh, Bakersfield last year. He was number four. Yeah. And with his skating, it was very reminding. He's got the sort of upright uh, uh, with his back posture uh, in his skating style, and he's very dynamic, which is uh, one thing you can certainly say about Taylor Hall.
0: So, so Borgo is one of these kind of semi-infamous picks in that you know the the orders the Oilers, a lot of people felt the Oilers should have drafted goalie uh, Jesper Wallstedt out of Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a chance and they just decided to pass that up because they thought there's a there's a player that they wanted. There was a couple of players I think they had on their list who they had higher than Wallstedt, I'm guessing, and mm-hmm. they were still there. They thought we'll, we'll get one of them and we like them. We like these players more, and one of them obviously was Xavier Borgo. And so there's, you know, there's that hanging over his head. Some fans will bring that up until the cows come home. I don't know where that expression comes from, where the cows come home. But um must be an old farming. Uh, it's
1: a long day until the cows come home. And there you bring go. Bring stuff up during all of it. Once the cows come home, there's work to be done. They have to show
0: so he, he, Bruce, was... Um, People can go on the internet, on Twitter, or on the Oilers website, and see the highlight, like the the goal, the winning goal. He hustled down the ice with excellent body position, fended off a Jets defender to, to get an uh, icing dissolved. And um, the puck then got Hamlin brought the puck over. Borgo did what good players do. He went to the net, right to the net, and he headed off the the Jets' breakout. They were trying to break out, and they 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 their pass went off Borgo. Um, and I think it went to Holloway at that point. Holloway tried to set up Bargo, and Bargo um, was checked, but it, the puck hit him or the Jets defender and went right to Hamblin for the goal. You know, he's he he made a number. Every every single time he touched the puck, Bruce, um, almost without fail, he made a really smart play. He's just exceptionally strong with the puck on his stick. Like, And he really did remind me. I didn't write this in the post because, you know, Comparisons are always kind of over the top. But he did really remind me of Jordan Everly in terms of the offensive game that he brought. Like that cleverness with the puck, stick handling with the puck, smart plays with the puck. That's it. That's Xavier Borgo's game. And it's hard for me to imagine that he won't be a top um, line player right away in the AHL. Like he just, his skill is, was really impressive and heartening. I I had seen him play in, in now and then. But you never know what he's going to do. This is a, This is the highest level of competition, I, I would say, that he's ever faced. This is even higher than the World Junior Tournament, I, generally speaking. I think, like, these are the best, you know, Jets prospects. Mm-hmm. Missing a few of them, I guess, because they're still in U.S. college hockey. But very high level of competition. People fighting hard for NHL jobs now. And he just he really stood out as an exceptional hockey player.
1: He played uh, at least one, I'm thinking, two exhibition games for the Oilers last year, and he scored a goal and assist in the first one at Calgary. Oilers opened the season with a satisfying 4-0 win right in the Saddledome. But it was sort of our B team against their B team, but uh, our B team included Borgo, who scored and uh, who played well. And he, you know, what he showed in that, was which, which was his very first uh sort he with the pros was uh he wasn't intimidated or overawed by the experience and he was right in there uh and i've i've seen not much of this guy that hasn't left me fairly favorably impressed Uh, about a week ago i was writing our article on him being the oilers number four prospect now on our ratings this year up from number six and i watched a entire all of his shifts from a memorial cup game and I, I was just impressed by how often he would make a good play to make something happen or at least open up an opportunity where something could have happened and um uh, he's just very smart with the puck very smart distributing the puck very good at getting open and releasing his own shot and a high percentage shooter and in that way he is a little bit like jordan everling as you say he was basically a twenty percent shooter his last three years of uh, junior hockey.
0: It's um, it's a game, Bruce. Uh, I'm going to be even more optimistic here, but it, I do think it's a game that translate well translates well to the NHL, to, to the top six in the NHL. He doesn't. Uh, yeah, he doesn't, especially on the Oilers. He doesn't. You know, if you were going to ask him to be the driver of your top line, I think no, no. He's that's not his game. But if you're asking him to play as a complimentary winger with players who are drivers like Dreisaitl and and McDavid, he can. He, it's, it feels like he can do that. Like soon, mm-hmm. now, now, but soon, I'll say. Right. You know, give he, he, half a season and in, and in, uh, now I'm going to say Oklahoma City, half a season in bake, in Bakersfield, and um, see just to make sure of this impression, so you know, and so he can get acclimated to pro hockey but he just seems like he's got that ability to slide in there along some really skilled players and fit in seamlessly be one of those guys and uh, you know and, and on the wing people might say well you guys are, are staples you're getting overly optimistic here and players need to over ripen but you know I, I, I just think like on the wing the defensive responsibilities are quite a bit less and if you're a smart conscientious hockey player You don't need to be a year in the AHL or two years in the AHL. Again and again and again, we see these really good young wingers spend half a season in the AHL, maybe a full season, but half a season or no season at all, and then go to the NHL and and do well there. So if the guy doesn't get injured, um, uh, just I I give him one thumb up for sure.
1: Yeah, Yeah, he's got the NHL potential dripping off of him, you know. And he's, um, uh, he showed it again on that play on the, on the winning goal, but uh, that, that just looked like an extension of the same guy I was watching from the Morrow Cup that was, you know, just ever dangerous and seemed to be all over the puck and made a lot of good decisions with it. So uh, I agree he's probably due to go down to Bakersfield, depending on how the Oilers resolve their salary cap situation. And it may be that he's seen as a, a long-term, or, you know, even intermediate-term solution on right wing, uh, because, if, I mean, yes, pooley is non-zero chance he gets moved, and there's also a non-zero chance that when his contract expires at the end of this season that he might get moved then. And it's better to have someone in, in waiting, ready to roll, and uh, uh, Xavier uh, uh He's kind of in the catbird seat for that uh, uh, for that role.
0: Yeah, my preliminary Oilers depth chart. I have him seventh. Mm-hmm. I have Pulley, Yamamoto, Ryan, Shore, uh, Raphael Lavoie, Seth Griffith, and then Borgo, mm-hmm. and then Tulio. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, it's interesting, Raphael Lavoie, who is a who has shown some real potential as well. Great big guy, really hard shot, and uh, can be and in, in is a nasty player when he wants to be. Now he's coming off a fairly major injur- in, injury, I understand. That's why he's not in this tournament. So, um, and then Griffith is a highly skilled player. Like he's he's an incredibly skilled hockey player, but I think he's twenty eight or twenty nine now, and he's oh. and he's not considered an NHL prospect. So Borgo, I, I think probably would would start out. He should start out. You know, they should be using the him. Well, he might. I would have him on the power play ahead of Griffith. I think no. you want him. Wow. You you want him there. Right. In, and, and you know, it's interesting. Like, players, I think actually Holloway's, in some ways, Holloway's game where he dominates the puck so much, carries the puck, it's harder to translate to the NHL than Borgo's, where you're just get. it's more of a give and go aspect to the game. It's just harder to, to do that, carry the puck and make plays. That's not, I'm not saying Holloway doesn't do the give-and-go. He, he does, but not as well as Xavier Borgo. It's just it's just that much easier to translate to that, that style of highest-level hockey, I think, if you're uh, that give-and-go kind of hockey player. Uh, Bruce, one player not in the game was um, we had, at, at the top of our Cult of Hockey rankings, we had Philip Broberry, Then we had Dylan Holloway. And in the third slot, we had Stuart Skinner. You wrote about Himbers. What yeah. uh, what was your major finding? I mean, everyone sees seen Stuart, Stuart Skinner play by now, but what, what are you thinking mm-hmm. about him right now?
1: Well, I think he's, uh, his arrows are pointing up. I mean, we had him at uh, uh, down 16 for two years in a row, the first two years that he was pro, and he was sort of uh, finding his way first in the ECHL, then in the AHL, and, you know, right around 900 in both leagues, both years kind of thing. And then in his third year, he stepped it up in the AHL, and he got, got his first NHL game, and we bumped him up to number eight. And then last year, he had a strong season in the AHL and a, a real nifty half season in the NHL filling in for Mike Smith. And he got 13 games last year, and he had, you know, he had some pretty nice numbers. They, they kind of picked and chose the games that he played uh, Dave Tippett was the coach for all but one of the games that Skinner played in, and he was clearly trying to trying to slot him in against uh, against second and third tier teams and not the powerhouses, so Koskinen was carrying the, the mail in the in the biggest games, uh, but Skinner, in the opportunities that he got, he played great, he had a 9-13 save percentage, and he... Uh, um, you know he had the best goals against average on the on the team uh, and I think Smith eked him out for save percentage right at the end when Smith went on that major heater that lasted all of April uh, but Skinner certainly looked like he's ready and his contract situation is such that he's now played his four years of pro that a goalie's allowed to play with uh, waiver exemption but he is no longer waiver exempt so. Uh, And he certainly attracted enough uh, positive looks from around the league last year that there's no chance that the orders could ever slip him through. So he will be on the team to start the season. uh, I think almost a slam dunk that uh, Stuart Skinner is the number two goalie to uh, start the season. And uh, uh, I think he's ready to play probably 25 games this year, maybe 30. We'll see how things go. And if, you know, heaven forbid, there's an injury and he has to play a bunch of games in a row, then uh, uh, that'll be a severe test and we'll know more. But uh, for now, I think he's a pretty decent bet to be the number two.
0: You compared him to the last goalie, NHL goalie the orders have developed, Devin Dubnik.
1: Mm-hmm. What did
0: you find there, Bruce?
1: Oh, lots in common, really. Uh, Dubnik, was a, he was the first-round draft choice. We had a higher pedigree. And it's not just that he's better because he's a higher draft pick, but I also think there's a different um, uh, dynamic in terms of what the team expects out of a guy, the opportunities they're going to give a guy. The Oilers have always pushed their first-round draft choices harder and faster than, than guys from later in the draft, whereas Skinner was a third-round pick. But honestly, the first uh, early parts of their career, like, they both played the same number of years in the WHL. They both played, basically, a full year in the ECHL. They worked their way up to the AHL, uh, and so the, the the years at the same ages were very similar. Like I showed you a list of the two sets of numbers and said which one is which. It would be almost impossible to tell, because some years one was a li- little bit better, the other, the other years the other guy would be a little better. So he's right there with Dubnik as a developing player, and Dubnik as a... 23-year-old uh, that Skinner was last year, that was the year that he finally got his chance. Javi Boone got hurt in a similar manner as Mike Smith getting hurt last year. And Jeff Delorier got the... got the uh, He started as the backup, and then they wound up calling up Dubnik. And Dubnik and uh, Delorier, two two rookies, carried the mail the rest of the way that year, and they had a tough year, and the Oilers were a last-place team, and, you know, with two rookie goaltenders, so... Uh, and at a certain point, I think the management decided we might as well get the first overall pick. There's nothing we can do to really be competitive, so let's give these young guys a chance. And Dubnyk was just so-so in that first year, and then by his second year, he's you know 9.16, 9.14, 9.20. The next three years after that, well, that's just the stage of his career that Skinner is entering now. So if he can raise his game, that next step that Devin Dubnyk did do for three years. Uh, then, uh, uh, then we got something. Uh, hard to know yet, but he's, you know, he's sitting in the, pretty much the same spot that Dubnik was in, was it uh, 2010-11 when he was, uh, you know, working his way in and he, you know, he was still the backup behind Habie Boulin, who was healthy again, and Delorier was gone and Skinner sort of won that competition, or sorry, yeah, Dubnik won that competition, and uh, he was in there, and that's often for these young guys, you know, they have to make it as a backup before they get get a real shot at a, a, a starter's position, and even the real good ones, like Jake Ottinger last year in uh, Dallas, who was a, who's a uh, contemporary of Stuart Skinner, and he started out the year as a number three goalie, and then a couple guys got hurt, and then he sort of took over, and once he got the net, he won. You know, he kept it because he played so well. And that, obviously, that's what you hope happens with uh, with uh, Stuart Skinner when the when the day comes. But jury's sure, out, obviously. But uh, but so far, so good. You know, from 16 to eight to three, and this next year he won't be on the list because he'll be uh, he'll have too many NHL games by then.
0: Of course, Devin Dubnik is another one who got away from the Oilers. They gave up on him at some point. And I remember McTavish. Was that the the famous one one where he said, if you have to ask the question? Yes. Which has now become a famous kind of line uh, among Oiler fans, if you have to ask the question. It was in relation to, like, uh, do you have steady goaltending? And McTavish is is, if you have to ask the question. And that's after Devin Dubnik had had a pretty darn good year, as I recall. And And it it kind of...
1: He yeah. set the Oilers' all-time record for save percentage by a goalie in a season, 9.20. The one the one Mike Smith broke last year, uh, Dubnik set that in uh, uh, during the lockout year under Ralph Kruger, and then McTavish did that. If you have to ask the question thing when he was asked about whether he's ready to, you know, be his full-time number one. Yeah. He lost his longtime partner, Javi Boulin. Uh, they changed the rules about goalie sticks and equipment during that offseason. His wife had a baby. There was like four or five things that are twins, was it? Anyway, there was four or five things that happened in his life all at once. And then Dallas Aikens came in and introduced the swarm, which often featured a swarm of several Oilers in the corner. Well, some sniper on the other team, I'm thinking Joffrey Lupul in Toronto in particular one time,
0: alone at
1: front hammering one-timers uh, in the top corner. And then the national TV panel on Hockey Night in Canada criticizing Devin Dumnik for not stopping a 10-foot one-timer that found the top corner. And it just went from bad to worse. It was like uh, everything went wrong at once and his game imploded and it took him uh, until the next year in arizona really to uh, get it back and then arizona traded to minnesota and he was a solid goalie again for a long time after that
0: yeah well,
1: the orders gave up on him real quick you're right
0: i did it with the with the top prospect on our list philip broberry i did a similar thing comparing him to uh, oscar clefbaum mm-hmm. and it, it, it was um they were close every season although i have to say if you you know you look closely enough it looks like philip broberry almost every season after the draft year was was slightly ahead of Oscar Clefbaum, in large part because Clefbaum kept getting hurt, and you know, and it, it just really hit me, Bruce, in writing that article. Like, Oscar Clefbaum's career ended at age 26. Man, that is a that is a what a tough thing. I mean, he was such a great, he was he was rounding in to such a solid, reliable, excellent NHL defender. Yeah. And it just shows how injury can impact the player. It impacted him all throughout his career. Um, various injuries, mainly to his shoulder.
1: shoulder.
0: And, and they're very similar players, you know, big strapping, mm-hmm. like Greek god kind of uh, physiques. Swedish uh-huh. defensemen can skate, move the puck, not particularly physical. Um, but uh, solid enough defensively. So, Philip Broberry's he, every step of the way, he's just a, he's a little, just a smidgen ahead right now of Clefbaum. This is a big year for Philip Broberry. I mean, he's yes. got to make this team. Clefbaum was played uh, a handful of games in this draft after four season in the AHL, but mostly he was mostly in the NHL playing in the bottom pairing and doing very well. So, that's what we can expect and should expect from Philip Broberry this year. And two years after that, you know, draft after six year, Clefbaum is developing into a number one D man on his team. Mm-hmm. So the tra- the trajectory can be fast for these players who are drafted in the first round, have a lot of talent, have a lot of physical skill, uh, complete backing of the organization. So um, everything so far, he, Philip Brobery came to camp saying he put on 12 pounds of muscle, and he's a bigger guy. He played a little more physical possibly than i had noticed oh. before in last night's game he seemed to be taking the body a bit more but oh. uh, and it's, he's aware of that what he says he just wants to be tougher in those in front of the net sealing off players and in the corner being able to seal off players and keep them from um, you know manhandling you because that, that'll happen now and then he didn't seem to have lost any of his incredible where where he separates a bit from cleft is he is a better skater he's he's more agile and he's faster going forward and he's faster going backwards. He's just a slight, he's a better skates in every aspect of skating. He's slightly better than Clefbaum. bomb and maybe going forward with the puck. He's a lot better. So um, yeah, an exciting prospect. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with him in the NHL this year.
1: Yeah. Well, with 12 more pounds, he's probably turned that six pack that he had for abs. It's probably a two, four now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's got, I mean, he does remind the bomb in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. Just, just the, 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 as you say, the Adonis style. Yeah. Uh, body by Adonis and, and uh, possibly handsome. you know, the whole nine yards. He did play more power play than bomb did in his second year, and that's a big chunk yeah. of the points difference. Uh, but a, also a big part of the difference between their very similar development curves is that in his second year, After draft, uh, Kleffbaum played 11 games in the SHL and then wrecked his shoulder and was out for the rest of that season, whereas Brobery had a couple of minor injuries in that season, but mostly he played that season. And with Kleffbaum, I mean, who knows which shoulder injury was the one that started the chronic problem, but it could even have been that one that finished his uh, his, uh, 19-20-year-old season in Sweden. So uh, yeah. Brovary had at least, I mean, with Klepflon, those warning signs were there the, pretty much the entire time, unfortunately.
0: Unfortunately, that is true. So, Bruce, you had a look at the overall um, um, trend, direction of the Oilers' mm-hmm. drafting and development under Ken Holland. Mm. What, what did you find there?
1: Well, what's really changed, I mean, we've been doing this now for 12 years, right, with our, yep. um, with our off-season prospect series. And we started in 2011, which was the year Taylor Hall had been drafted first overall the previous year and he'd already graduated. He wasn't even considered a prospect. He was an NHLer. And that year, Ryan Nugent Hopkins was the, the prospect and he was right in the NHL. And the next year, Neil Yakupov was the prospect and he was right in the NHL. Uh, they did a little bit different with the defensemen uh, with uh, Nurse drafted in 13, and Kleffbaum as, as a second first round pick in 11. They both got time down about all the forwards, Leon Dreisaitl, Conor McDavid, yes, Pooley-Arby, they just got pushed right through and into the NHL immediately. And some of them were obviously ready. I mean, Conor McDavid, I mean, can't see him playing in the NHL at any time, right? But uh, some of them not quite so ready. Uh, Dry needed to, go, you know, go back to junior. Uh, with Pull arby well, I think it's clear that from the outset, they, they uh, rushed him. Uh, Yeah, they they put him out of his weight class, and uh, in some ways, he's still paying the price for that. And finally, with Shirelli, they started getting a little more right with uh, Kyler Yamamoto, but even then, two years in a row, they started him in the NHL, and then they moved him down. Mm -hmm. So he stayed on our prospect list, but it wasn't because they were slow playing him. It was because he wasn't ready, and they at least figured it out and got him out of there before he played a lot of games. Well, suddenly... uh, and. From 2011 to 18, we had eight different players as the number one prospect, and six or seven of those guys were only on the list for one year and gone. Yeah. And then, and then Holland came in, and the first thing he did was slow play, um, the last prospect chosen by Shirelli, which was Evan Bouchard, mm-hmm. and Bouchard, who also started right away seven NHL games, uh, right out of camp with his first draftless one season. Before he got sent down, the second year he never played a minute in the NHL. He was down in uh, uh, in Bakersfield uh, under um, uh, well under uh, Keith Gretzky, I guess. But uh, Holland, you know, he feel, he dealt with the defense in other ways, and we weren't relying on some 19 or 20 year old kid that had to be in the lineup for for things to work. And he wound up being not only the first guy to be number one on our list twice but then a third time and then a fourth time. uh, He was just under the threshold of 25 games played, mind you, Uh, but he was still our number one prospect. And then last year, he graduated cum laude with a 43-point season, I think it was, as a full-time NHLer. And, you know, he was ready and he was given that shot. Well, since uh, um, Holland arrived, he's drafted... Philip Grover in the first round. He drafted Dylan Holloway in the first round. He drafted Xavier Borgo in the first round. He drafted Reed Schaefer in the first round. All four of those guys are still prospects. None of them has played 25 NHL games yet. And that's four of our top five. So instead of having this list of hot shots with one guy sort of standing out at the end of the list, we've got a full breadth of guys with first round uh, pedigree are in the prospect system we're all playing this weekend in this uh, in this tournament four first round picks and for a team that had a long history of immediately pushing first round picks into the nhl it is like a sea change in terms of how they operate and was what ken holland was was known for and you can agree with it or disagree with it what but what i think you can't disagree with it is that that's what he's doing and he's actually he's Saying, doing what he said he was going to do, giving these guys uh, a rope and latitude to uh, uh, develop their games. You know, get some NHL experience. I mean, Broberg got 23 games last year. He's just just barely on the list uh, still, but uh, uh, in in some sort of orderly manner. And Holland seems to keep signing and and getting depth players so that these guys just aren't gifted a spot on the roster. They got to beat somebody out to win a job on the NHL team. And he tends to give the veteran the first shot at it. And sometimes you can say, well, it would have been better off if he hadn't signed that guy and he'd just given young fellow just a straight job. Um, But there are times you can say the young fellow that came up partway through the year, Kyler Yamamoto did one year, um, were more ready uh, to seize that opportunity when it came maybe a little more hungry too in, in a sense um and so the my takeaway is that the management style of it, of how the Oilers are developing players that we thought would change under ken holland has in fact changed under ken holland now we see how well it's going to work it's fair to
0: say that in his last years in Detroit, though, that Holland kind of moved away from that slow cooking, like he brought in some of these players like Larkin,
1: Larkin was Rasmussen, the
0: exception. a little faster than...
1: Larkin was the exception. As I recall, Larkin was a 19-year-old uh, in his draft plus two season, and he went straight to the NHL. And he was just so good. And and you could say as a criticism of Ken Holland, well, he's had four first-round draft choices. We're still waiting for one to come in and outperform and hit it out of the park and and arrive early. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, But at the same time, you can look at those four guys and you can't say, well, that guy is a bust. There's no chance he's going to make it. Like, honestly, those guys are all in our top five on merit based on what we know about them at this moment.
0: I like the look of them. I mean, they look like hockey players to me. Now I was just just thinking about How
1: did Schaefer look to you?
0: Um, He didn't stand out. You know, I Mm -hmm. I would say his, his, uh, he's got to work on his skating is what I would Mm -hmm. honestly say. Mm -hmm. He's a big guy. Um, He's got to work on his, he's got to get a little faster to get to, to uh, make more of an impact uh, going forward. But it was just a first impression, you know, and I was thinking of first impressions, Bruce, like of skill, like my positive first impressions, let's say of, of Borgo and um, Holloway, although I've seen Holloway play in a lot of games. But, you know, I remember, you know, when Magnus Pyarvi came, we, we would see him play in the world. I think he, as a 19-year-old, he was like the most viable forward in the world championships against men. Like wow. sometimes, yes. and, and he he crushed it in one exhibition season with the Oilers, the Hope yeah. season, like he got a three-goal game. And I'm just trying to think, like, I was very excited about Magnus Pyarvi at that time. And thinking the orders might have quite a player here. In in the end, he was fast enough, Magnus Pajarvi. But what we probably never really saw was incredible dexterity with the puck. Like in terms of making slick moves with the puck and slick passes with the puck.
1: Mm-hmm. He
0: was good going straight ahead, charging in there and getting a goal. And sometimes that, you know, sometimes that player can become Glenn Anderson, right? Right. You know, but... Um, so it's it's easy to be. I guess my point is it's easy to be wrong. Um, on it's easy for the scouts to be wrong. It's certainly easy for us, just who see drop in on these players now and then, to be wrong. And and that's my overall take on all of these players is like do, we don't know. Nobody knows, and we'll we'll find out. Um, there's indicators all the way along. And there's positive indicators on all three. Uh, like I would say, like I, I'm going to leave Schaefer out of it for a second, but the three other guys, like I'm, I'm thrilled with those picks still. Okay. I think they're good picks, but we'll see. You just never know.
1: Yeah, well, Schaefer's the youngest guy and in the on in the, in the team in this tournament, and he's the only guy in this draft was one year, and here as I can tell, it's on this uh, yeah uh, on this roster that's uh, going to play last night, tonight or that played last night. Uh, and you know they had the one first-round pick, and then they had a couple picks late in the draft. Like they didn't have a lot of draft depth this year, but it, it's pretty typical for these guys to sort of get their first game at this level and be exposed a little bit. Like it's very hard not to be, unless they're a real like super duper hot shot. Like, yeah, David, sure. But if you're, uh, but if you're, you know, I mean, 32nd overall draft choice, and he's playing against. You know, even Xavier Burgos is a year older than him, right? Um,
0: and he was the 32nd overall. Like he, like Holloway was taken yeah. what 14th, yeah. and Bro, 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 Philip Broberry was taken eighth. Like there's a yeah. significant difference in pedig- pedigree, and development of the player at that at that age between the eighth yeah. overall pick, and sure. and then of course Broberry's fourth, four years advanced on Schaefer in terms Very of his sure. development. So, yeah, it's a tough. That's why I'm I I, I don't know. You know, my take is he looked a little, just a little bit, needs to catch up a bit in the game. Right. But we'll see. Maybe he'll come out tonight and knock everybody's socks off. It's a, it's a distinct possibility. I was going to suggest you keep an eye on him because.
1: I am going um, to very much to yeah. that. So, I mean, that's part of the, the cost of doing business for the team getting better. Right? I mean, Broberg, the at least in Holland's year, they went from 8th to 14th. To well to 20th and to 29th with their draft position. In the last two years they traded down a couple of spots, even to 22 and 32. So each year uh, they're picking deeper out of the out of the pool, and not only so so each guy has a little lesser draft pedigree and he's younger, so he should be behind. And sure enough, if you look at our list, Rovers is is the first, then Holloway then Skinner sneaks in there, then Borgo, then Schaefer. So in chronological order that they were drafted, they, they spread out as it's logical that it should be that way. And and I, I find nothing alarming if Reed Schaefer is not quite ready yet as 18 years old. I saw stuff to like in the, in the playoffs. I watched the Hot Prospects Day, Top Prospects game on my PVR the other day, because he played in that. And I like some of what I saw there. and. He's a he's a raw big, like a guy. He can he's fast when once he gets up to speed. And what he's going to have to work on is his, you know, getting from zero to sixty in uh in four seconds instead of eight. You know. And yeah. It, it's uh, uh, but he's a load, and, and so there's he's got a big heavy shot. Like there's lots to like about the guy, but uh, he's he's young and he's raw.
0: Bruce. Uh... The Evander Kane situation, which was talked mm. about so much, you know, this arbitration hearing, and there was mm-hmm. like even some some wild claims that he might go back to the San Jose Sharks. Claims which, which actually stopped making any, they had no air of reality at all after Kane signed with the Oilers. And Kane wouldn't come out on and admit it because it's like... It's a negotiation. He wasn't involved in a negotiation. But there was no, like, there was, like, even then people were talking about it. There was no chance at that point he was going back to San Jose. He had signed in Edmonton. He's an Edmonton oiler. There's no, you know, San Jose had to argue that they didn't want him and they were right to get rid of him. So they're not going to get him. They, they're, The arbitrator isn't going to give them him to San Jose on, on their account. And on Kane's account, he signed with the Oilers. He's got a contract. He knows where he wants to be. He wants to be in Edmonton. So, again, he's not going back. He was never going back to San Jose anyway. They reached this, what we don't have as a ruling, and I think this is an important understanding for people here. What we have is an agreement between people who were bitterly divided, had a a feud, a business feud, and they have come to an agreement. That's what this is. And the agreement is essentially that San Jose got rid of the last four years of Kane's contract, and he played one of those years last season in Edmonton. So what the... What the arbit- what the settlement is is, he was going to get seven million dollars a year in San Jose, and he's only going to get five point one million dollars a year in Edmonton. And I, the settlement is was it seven million that he was going to get in in San Jose? There's a
1: cap hit of seven million, but I think they wound up using these actual salary figures, which may have been a little bit less. Yeah, okay. Uh, they basically made good on the differences. They're going to make
0: good on the difference, the which, is, which is which is it seems to me like a fair. like Kane's happy. He gets the money that he was going to get anyway. Mm-hmm. The Oilers are happy. They get what is, I think actually a pretty close to a $7 million a year player. And this might've gone into the low amount that somewhat lower amount that the Oilers signed Kane for. Maybe he was thinking, well, I'm going to get there. I got a good case here and San Jose. San Jose is going to make up that money so I can sign at Edmonton for 5.1 million. Edmonton gets a $7 million winger for $5.1 million a year. San Jose wins. Because the problem is resolved. They've got to pay Kane, you know, a few million dollars to make make good on axing him. But if they had just axed him and bought out his contract, they, oh. the cap hit would have been brutal. Mm-hmm. And the cap penalty that they have to pay um, for the next three years making up this money to Kane, or I think they paid him a lump sum, actually. They paid him a lump sum ju- just now. That is against their past cap. So it's yeah. a very nice. It is a, like, and some people are cheesed about that. I don't blame people if you're cheesed about that, but I, I would say, remember, this is a, this is an agreement between the player and San Jose. Now the NHL and the NHLPA had to sign off on it, but both of them did. The players' union thought, "Ah, oh, this works for us." The NHL thought, "This works for us." And yeah, I would have liked San Jose to have to pay that cap hit too for the next three years. But on the other hand, I'm just glad it's done and over with and people can get on with business. What's your thought?
1: Now, the PA, I mean, they're happy that it's last year's cap because that means San Jose's got more money to spend on other players yes. now. So exactly. the PA's got no real reason to grieve uh, that part. Uh, I I was concerned that part of the negotiation, we would always wind up in Edmonton, but that that if the arbitrator ruled a certain way that they might have to trade to get him back and give up something or... Uh, you know, get sell, San Jose to eat some salary, or that some way the NHL would find a way to penalize Edmonton with a third round draft pick that got sent to Calgary, it's <laughs> part, part, of the, part of the process. So I have a long and uh, fairly bitter memories of uh, some other rulings in the NHL. But anyway... You're just,
0: uh, you're, you checked your sound um, Did you? It's probably working, but I can't hear you. Um, I still can't hear you. Uh, a uh, I can hear you now. So get close to the mic. Make sure you're close to okay. the mic. Yeah. I might have him, him a little,
1: little cheaper because of, uh, uh, he knew he had a strong case, as you say, that San Jose was going to have to make good so he could, he didn't have to push too hard on dollars and maybe got an extra year because he went for a lower term, so it works out for him as well.
0: That could have been the case, right? We don't know that, but I I, I suspect he, I suspect Kane knew that he had a good case against
1: San Jose. Yeah. I and, do remember, sorry, I do remember on the day he signed, he was interviewed on the Jason Greger show on TSN 1260. And he, uh, uh, and Greger sort of challenged him on this. and says, well, there, you know sort of three ways that this case could go and at least one of them, if you know, if you if you win and your contracts get reinstated, and Kane just sort of said, "Well, there's more than," he said, "I can't really go in any kind of de- detail, but there's there, there's other ways that this can be resolved without meaning the contract gets reinstated, or words to that effect." That actually left me feeling fairly um, fairly secure that he, you know, it wasn't the whole rug wasn't going to get pulled out from under the Edmont- Edmonton Oilers. This was a concern. Yeah. For a while. Once he
0: had a new contract with the Oilers, I, what he's asking for then, he's not asking for that old contract. He's asking for, I'm staying at Edmonton and you make good, you make me whole on the old contract. So his, 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 his bargaining position changes the, the day right. he signs at Edmonton. And he didn't make that clear because it's a bargaining position. It's not, yes. it's,
1: it's a negotiation.
0: Time. There's, he's not going to talk about that in public at that time, but it, um, that's how that would work. Bruce, the Oilers signed a veteran D-man who played in San Jose from 2010 to 15. Jason Demers, he's now 34. He was actually close to coming to Edmonton in the summer of 2016 when the Oilers signed Milan Lucic. And Demers uh, made a trip here as well to Edmonton. And there, there was real talk that they the Oilers were going to sign him. People were very bullish on the right shot D-man at that time. He played last year in the KHL. He only played uh, nine games. He played five games for the Canadian Olympic team. Um, Hearing Jay Woodcroft talk about this on orders now, it's, it became clear that, you know, the orders have, a I think they have um, five games in eight days coming up in the exhibition schedule. And they want to plug someone else. They, they want to plug some players in. They don't want to play their veterans. They don't, and Demers will get a chance then. He, and he's mainly being brought in, I think, as a favor uh, to him, but also to help the orders through that stretch of games. And, you know, injuries come hard and fast and ugly in the NHL. If worst comes to worst, um, if players start dropping, they'll, they could sign him and uh, he could be an Edmonton order this year. I don't expect that's going to happen. He seems, when you look at his, his numbers, there's been a significant drop off in his play. His last year in the NHL was with Arizona in 20, 2021. He played 41 games and had four assists. So that speaks of kind of a bottom pairing defenseman at the end of his uh, playing days. Um, what's your take yeah, but- on it?
1: The, well, the favor. And you went, What's the connection? Well, Demers came up with the San Jose Sharks in 2009-10, and he played with the Sharks right through uh, probably four full years. And uh, after that, and then he started 2014-15 and got traded to uh, Dallas Stars. Well, think back. Well, who was on the coaching staff of the San Jose Sharks from 2008 to 15? Yeah. Uh, well, it was uh, Todd McClellan and Jay Woodcroft. So there's a personal connection, there with yeah. the player. Uh, I think, as a, in terms of a comparison player uh, with recent connection to the Oilers, uh, um, you can think of him maybe as a modern edition of Jason Garrison, who's a player who came in a few years ago on a PTO, and he actually signed it, and made the team, and he played, I think, 17 games or something that year before he uh, got sent on his way because they were dealing with some sort of roster issues and. Uh, they gave him some games to show what he could do, and eventually he showed it, and he was gone. Uh, I just can't see Demers. I think he's passed it now. I mean, he's 34 years old.
0: Yeah, 34. And
1: his last NHL goal came sometime in the 2018-19 season with Arizona when he got two. Yeah, game. yeah. And then he's had two half-seasons since with no goal. Not that goals are his game, but, you know... You play you play enough minutes to eventually you're going to get one go in somehow and you know like Kesselring got last night but he was very much a bit player there in Arizona and Arizona of course has always been one of the worst teams in the league for as long as anyone can remember and you know it's kind of a, 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 a collecting ground for old veterans that can't find jobs elsewhere they seem to collect there and in, in uh in uh, Arizona so and then last year like five games in the KHL I just see nothing here that says this is an NHL guy that's going to help other than maybe he's a you know third call up kind of guy and even then like is there room for him on the AHL roster I don't really think there no. is. so I think this may be a, a PTO showcase him and maybe some other team will say you know we could use that depth guy ourselves that uh, we'll sign him if he comes out you know maybe it helps him find a job or maybe it just confirms to him nope the NHL is too good for me now I'm going to go back to Europe and keep playing over there you know make some sort of life decision based on taking that one last shot at it like so many veteran pros and he was a good pro like to do
0: yeah I mean they have Kesselring Kemp and Deharney on the right side in um, and they might have another AHL veteran too uh for all i know they they often do bruce uh let's end up with a little look at um the demographics of the team and um i was worried that the orders have this kind of cohort of players um veteran players 29 30 31 years old and that includes and they're very important players on the team so that includes uh um Evander Kane, who's now 30, this year, um, 31. Jack Campbell, 30. Zach Hyman, 30. And Ryan Nugent Hopkins, 29. Uh, Tyson Berry's also 31. But Tyson Berry's only got one more year left on his deal. So, and Derek Ryan's 35. After this year. After this year. So, but Kane Kane signed for four years, Campbell for five. uh, Hyman for six more, I think. And Nuge for six more. So... Mm -hmm. There's, there's seven more. There's a lot of hockey to be played by these guys in the Oilers. And, you know, are they, how's this aging in place experiment going to go? And I was just worried that, like, is how short is the window for the Oilers to win the Cup? How many of these players, especially in your core 12, can you have in their 30s and still win the Stanley Cup? And I got concerned about that. So I had a look at older teams that won the Cup. And it, it turned out there's lots of teams that had um, that won the Stanley Cup. And they had between uh, f- uh, f- 5 to 10 players, key players on their team, who were at least 30 years old. The Detroit Red Wings in twenty uh, 20- in 2002 had 10 players, key players on that team. Now, most of those guys were Hall of Famers, I need to point out. And in this cohort on the Oilers, these are very, very good players, but they're not Hall of Fame players, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. So most of the Detroit players were, were like, you know, um, Sergei f- uh, Fedorov, Lidstrom, Shanahan, Robitaille, Iserman, Hasek, oh. Hull, Chelios, Lariano—like It's like, wow. Yeah. just what, no, So that's Hall of Fame true. players tend to last, you know, they start at a higher place. So as they drop in their 30s, they're still pretty good even as they drop. Mm-hmm. So, but, but that's the most that I saw 10 key players. But there's lots of teams. Detroit, under Ken Holland, when they won all four Cups, had lots of players in their 30s, you know, between five and 10 on their team. So he's a master. Mm -hmm. It seems of of nurturing and building and nurturing this kind of veteran team and seeing it go far in the playoffs. The other the other team that had a lot of success with with veterans more than once in winning Stanley Cups was Toronto in the 1960s, both Mm -hmm. in 1964 and 67. uh, They had six players who were key players on their teams who were in their 30s. Um, The Hurricanes, who beat the Oilers in 2006, had nine players, nine key players, Bruce, on that Hurricanes team. We're were in their 30s. I didn't realize that at at the time.
1: Ray Whitney,
0: eh? Yeah. Some ex-Oilers on that squad. Mm -hmm. So, the Oilers are good. As you look forward, the Oilers are going to have five or six players in their 30s uh, as key players on the team. Um, But that's that doesn't mean you, your windows. If they're really good hockey players, these are all really good hockey players. If these are solid players, you can win some Stanley Cups. And who knows? Maybe some of them will be Hall of Famers, Bruce, if they can win two or three cups um, in this period of time with with the Oilers in this in this window. But I'm I was I was just reassured. It just made me think this window really is open for the entire McDavid contract the next four years, definitely. This is a a team which should challenge for the Stanley Cup every single season. And this core group of players, um, maybe one or two of them are going to drop off. Or maybe they're all going to drop off a little bit. Uh, But I think they're going to be okay. I think that uh, this is going to work out fine. And that the rest of the group itself is pretty young. So uh, there's lots of young players coming up as well. So what's your thought on the matter?
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, they, they do have that. That stream of uh, of youngsters that's getting broader, as we discussed earlier, of uh, potential uh, you know depth uh, replacement or eventually impact players. Uh, but as you point out, almost all of these guys uh, that were signed or e- essentially negotiated with as uh, free agents, uh, you know, in the five plus million dollar class they're all 29, 30, 31. It's not like they're 36 or 38 or 42, you know. And so uh, now they're all going to age together, and in three or four years, the picture could easily be a lot more grim than it is right now. Uh, But now even the guys who are sort of beyond their peak are still fairly high up their hill. Yeah. You know, they got a long way to coast downhill before they get to the bottom of it, let's put it that way. And... Mm. I mean, I think of a guy like, uh, Marion Hosa, I'm not saying any of these guys is that guy. He was a wonderful player, but he was 30 years old when he signed with Chicago Blackhawks, a big long-term contract. Yeah. And he had, uh, he had one season in Chicago with more than 61 points, right? He had one season where he really, you know, pumped in, yeah. uh, 77 points. <clears throat> and, uh, they're retiring his number this season. I mean, he wound up being such a huge player for them. And, uh, you know, uh, he's got, um, um, you know, I'm not saying any of the Oilers are are that exact guy, obviously, but I'm just saying that it's possible for a guy to join a team at 29 or 30 and make a huge contribution for a number of years and help that team out. And among Zach Hyman, uh, Evander Kane, You know all the guys you named. uh, There very well could be a guy or two like that that just becomes a you know an ongoing, steady, strong contributor for the Oilers. And the flip side is that last year, you looked at the Oilers' core twelve. Well, they had 40-year-old Mike Smith as their number one goalie. Yeah. 38-year-old Duncan Keith on their second pairing on defense. And now they've got thirty-year-old Jack Campbell as their as their starting goalie, and you're more looking at guys like you know Tyson Berry, thirty-one, and and uh, um,
0: Kulak, twenty-eight.
1: Yeah, Stu Kulak, twenty-eight, as opposed to Duncan Keith, thirty-eight, or even Chris Russell, thirty-five. Uh, they've I think eight of the ten oldest players on last year's roster are gone, and for the most part, the uh, the younger guys coming through have. Uh, uh, are you know yeah. several years younger and have you know clearly have careers left in front of them as opposed to being at the very end of the line. As it turned out, both Smith and Keith were last year playing out their final active you season.
0: Ju- you just got Kulak there, Bruce. You said Stu.
1: Did oh it's- I did I do <laughs> but So do
0: I. Brad, I made Brad's the same Brad's mistake Brad's last Brad's podcast. Brad. I called him. I said Stu Kulak. Uh, yeah, it's, that's it. That's the old Oilers uh, fan kicking <laughs> in there. Very
1: old Oilers, too. Kudak and not so yeah. long.
0: And, and Barry last year was in the Core 12 heading into the season, mm-hmm. but now it's Bouchard. I mean, Barry's not in the Core 12, really, I don't think. Like, he's kind of on the cusp. Right. Because he runs the power, you could argue that he is. Mm-hmm. But I'd, I would say that, it, 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 more importantly, at even strength. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, he's...
1: Right.
0: He and, anyway, we'll get into it. But they, they have all these young players. Like, like they've got... Uh, they've got Yamamoto, Skinner, Bouchard, McLeod, Brobery, Holloway, Borgo, um, Puglia Yarvey at this point. They've got a, some young talent on this team that can step up and step in. And um, the very heart of the team is still young this year. Nurse is 27 heading into the season right now. Dry 26 and McDavid's 25. So they are still the core, you know, the you know, the, the, the big three are still really uh, young career. They're young in the you know mid mid career young, and the young part of that mid career players young part of their prime. So yeah, I'm not that worried. I think this is a team that's actually kind of nicely balanced um, demographically. It's it doesn't have the the major issue that I was that I feared was developing. And you're right. Losing Mike Smith and Duncan Keith, you know, lowers the age level of this team. I don't even know what the average age is. It depends when you measure it, and the different studies that have been done on this, and the different hockey websites measure the age of the players at different times. So it's hard to kind of check and, and compare it. But this isn't a, this isn't an old team. Certainly not this year. But even all all four years of this next McDavid, you know, the McDavid era in Edmonton, which the four years I think that we count on, and after that he's it could be a free agent. Um, it looks it's looking pretty good.
1: Yeah, well, by the fourth year, when uh, when these guys that are 30 or 31 now or 33 or 34, the team is backsliding by then, then McDavid might have second thoughts because some of them are locked up for quite a few years beyond that. But one thing's for sure, McDavid knows who, the, who his teammates are going to be, who his major teammates are going to be for the, for the uh, remaining years of his contract. He knows that already. Well, the good one
0: piece of good news if it's Kane who's who's fallen off Kane's contract is just four years so Mcdavid will be looking at a new line mate um coming in and taking that, that money that Kane's getting paid um you know CC he's got he's got two year three years left on his deal he'll be 30 at the end of it and you know um so there are players who are going to come off the books kulak's gonna come off the books um they, they can there'll be money coming open for the Oilers to also recruit players and bring in new players if and Tyson Berry's 4.5 million dollars comes off of the books in two years so there's there's going to be some cap space coming open
1: yeah my concern is that there needs to be enough cap space to pay their own internal players the ones that do make it good point that they yeah. they don't have for instance a Yassapul Yarvi who explodes in uh 22 23 and now they can't afford him because they're already committed to all these other contracts and of course we talked about many of the guys that are on this train already and uh you know evan bouchard his contract's coming up next year and how much money is left for him because they already paid for instance darnell nurse on the defense corps.
0: yeah and philip broberry whose contract comes up in i think it's Two more years, Two years right? Yeah, like,
1: he's yeah, one year These guys line. both
0: develop into top four D-men. Bouchard mm-hmm. already is one, and Broberry develops into that. What happens? They would have to find the money. Borgol, yeah. if he becomes a top-line winger or a second-line winger.
1: Yeah, yeah it's least it's, At least it's, Broberry's got uh, Barry will be coming due at the time that Broberry's um, ELC expires. So you, you'd like to have some sort of thing where you can look at and say, well, that contract's going to be gone so they can pay that guy. I'm not quite sure how they're going to handle Bouchard in a year from now.
0: Well, some of the money but, comes off the books of the buyout money from for a yeah, couple Yeah, some of it years, uh, comes off the books. Like, maybe, I think they stopped paying $750,000, yeah. And they still have the Neil burden, the James Neil burden, though, for a couple more years. Morning. Uh, all right, Bruce, final thoughts? Any Anything? Uh, I guess we won't talk for a couple of weeks, but uh, mm-hmm. here we go. Here we
1: go. Yeah, yeah, we're just at the very beginning part of the marathon, and the a real team doesn't even take to camp until next week. And I think the the, the long, slow build begins in the preseason. That you're going to miss largely is um, uh, I'm not sure there's as much competition for jobs there as there is in many years. So in some ways, it's just players coming along, and we're going to recover in, in covering the games. We're not going to uh, try and do player grades of all 20 players in preseason games. No, and, we did I mean, last year. Either. What, yeah, what's the point? I mean, uh, if um, uh, you have veteran, you know, you have players with different motivations at this time of year. You have some guys, you know, giving it everything they got, make the team, and you got other guys that are locked into jobs that just have to stay healthy and sort of work their way into shape, find the game timing and stuff. And so it's apples and oranges. And the order has got a lot of oranges in the second category of guys that, you know, they just want to make sure they're ready for October the 12th. They don't really care what happens on uh, September 26th or whatever that first game is. You know, you win an exhibition game, you get the same zero points that you get if you lose it. So we'll we'll start taking the games. Uh, uh, you know, obviously we're going to watch these games and development of the team and we're going to report on them, but we're going to get into our full player grades, post-game podcast after every game, uh, starting with game one of the regular season. And that's, uh, that's when things, that's when the winner actually does get points and things start to uh, start to get real.
0: Alrighty, And I just want to say uh, we had the uh, happy moment this week. Kurt Levins, our Cult of Hockey colleague who... Uh, Works out on the coast, was in town, so we got to see, go out for a coffee with Kurt. It was great to see you, Kurt. Great to see Kurt. And my only great, we should have taken a picture, Bruce. Um, mm-hmm. That would have been good, because we don't have a picture of all three of us, I think. Mm-hmm. So next time Kurt's in town, we'll do that.
1: Yeah, you two guys looking lean and fit, and i got to say. <laughs> I, thinking, I got work to do. Mind you, I'm a little older than you guys, but, you know, so.
0: You got okay. it. Yeah. You've been out walking? You've been out walking every day? For, every single
1: day. going on three years now it's november so
0: you gotta just add in a little add in a little stretching and push-ups bruce that's it there you go (laughs) all righty and you can can join a hockey team (laughs) all right thanks bruce thanks for talking
1: all right thanks for listening everyone
0: and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast